Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. We started last week with a little background, but now we're getting into it. The book of Revelation is God's revelation given the end time events. I mean, as we look at this book, listen to this. We're going to see letters to churches, Jesus Christ, tribulation, antichrist, Satan, persecution, Jesus Christ and the kingdom, judgment, lake of fire, new heaven, new earth, holy city, throne of God, scenes in both heaven and earth, angels, and the worship of God. That's just in this book. We're going to be seeing that. And so this morning, we're getting the back... Excuse me, last week, we actually got the background of the book. We went through that, looked at a lot of different things. If you weren't able to be here last week, if you didn't get to do that, listen, go online, and you can go online a lot of different ways, YouTube and Facebook and our website and all those kind of things. But look at last week, because we gave the big background of how the whole book fits together and those kind of things, and so there's a lot there. So if you missed that, do that. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue. Of course, we're going to go start going verse by verse. When you think about the book of Revelation, some people, many people say, oh, we want to study it. We want to study it and understand it in time events because it's exciting. Other people say, no, you, you can't really know it and you can't understand it and you don't know what is in time events and they don't, they're not really real anyway. They're just pictures of different things. And so some people don't want to study it. We, our church, we, we look at the Bible historically, literally, grammatically. So we always want to study. We want to see how it fits together. And, and so the, the truth is this book was written so that People could understand it, know it, and and make application. When you think about it, John is the author. We just give you a quick background. John is the author. He was one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. This was written, this book was written around 90 to 95 AD. It was the last book of the New Testament. By the time this was written and all put together, the Bible was put together. This is about 60 years after Jesus Christ. Uh, Then John, at the time that he wrote this, uh, wrote the Revelation, was on this island of Patmos. And let me just give you, there's, there is Turkey. This is the seven churches we're going to see in the book. Here's this little island called the island of Patmos. And it was really just a deserted thing. And what the Romans did is because John was causing trouble, he was in Ephesus, and he was causing trouble, they exiled him and put him on this island. They figured that would shut him up. But what, what happened is God then gave him the final revelation of, of the Bible, which we call the book of Revelation. And so uh, I just, just look at, understand something, that the book of Revelation was not written to frighten us or to confuse us. It was written to encourage us. When we read this as believers, as the church age, as we study this, we realize that one of these days Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us out. That's called the rapture. And then there's going to be a lot of the events. In fact, from chapter 4 through basically chapter 19 in the book of Revelation, it deals with the time period called the tribulation. But we as the church, we will not be in that that aspect of it, not be in the tribulation. And so uh, that's why it's really a, a good book. It is an encouragement for us. In fact, let me give you some reasons. There's three, I got three things here that one, first, it was written to encourage believers that as we look at this, we get excited and we say, wow, we see Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, all of those things. We see that. Then this book also tells us about end time events. And, and what, what happens? In fact, if you look at it this way, this is a flow of the end time events. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. That's called the first coming of Christ. He came to die. We're in the church age. The next event will be the rapture. Jesus comes in the clouds. We're taken off the face of the earth. There'll be a time period called the tribulation. Then Jesus comes a second time to the earth. First time to the earth to die. Second time to the earth to reign, to rule and reign in righteousness. Sets up a kingdom for a thousand years and then goes on for, for eternity. 
eternity after that. That's the flow of end time events. So I've given you, yeah, there's a, uh, they won't go through this sort of thing. And so as we look at this book, it's, it's, it's really for us. There's a, a lot of different things in there. It's called apocalyptic literature which means unveiling. That's what it has, the idea. And let me give you this. This is a, a chart that I, I have for you, a little handout that you got last week. You can get it. It's out on the table. And on one side, it gives the background of the book. On the second, on the other side, it gives you the outline of the book. Now, this is the what I call the short outline. He's, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 this morning, which is the introduction. And then what he says, John, what you have seen, that's Jesus. What are, that's the churches. And then what will be, and that's all future things. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, we see it as a future view. There are some people who actually say everything in the book of Revelation happened in the first century. And you go, what? They say, yeah, it's just symbolic and everything. Well, that means they also say that there won't be a rapture. There won't be an antichrist. There won't be a tribulation. There won't be a second coming aspect. There won't be a kingdom. There won't be any of that because they just say they don't hold to that. We do. We hold to what we call historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. So we look at the Bible and we put it together that way. That's sort of the the thing for you. we have the end times as well. Now, I have two handouts for you that, that you, you could get. Uh, one, this one is just the one, the outline of the book and everything. This other one is this chart right here. And on one side, gives you the chart. On the other side, actually explains the chart. There, all of these are on the table as you go out the door. So be sure and pick those up if, if you didn't get them last week or whatever, how you get them. Now, uh, this is what we're going to look at this morning. The first eight verses... And the first part, chapter verses 1, 2, and 3, basically is the introduction, and then there's the greeting. And then, this is how we end this morning, it's the return of Jesus Christ. And it says, in the clouds, seen by all, gives the description. Just from that, we can tell which return this is. And I'll tell you about it, because is Jesus returning in the clouds to get us? Or is he returning to the earth as the king? We'll see it as we look through the book of Revelation this morning. So go ahead and look at uh, verse 1. Start there. We call this the unveiling. Apocalyptic literature. So let's read it. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So the Father gave to Jesus this revelation. It was to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he, Jesus, sent and communicated it by his angel, that's an angel, to his bondservant, John. And so what we really realize is the Father gave it to Jesus, and Jesus gave it to an angel, and an angel gave it to John, and John gave it to the seven churches, and the seven churches, ultimately, it, it came in the Bible, and, it, and it's for us. And so the, it starts off the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the central person. He's the central person in the book of Revelation. He's the central person in the entire Bible. Everything from Adam and Eve is lo- on is looking forward to the one who would come and die on the cross to pay for sin. After that, everything in the world, we're looking back to see Jesus Christ as the, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior. When you think about Jesus, there's really two aspects. There's, first of all, the unbeliever, the person who says, I, I've never believed in Christ. Well, you have to make a decision. Listen, Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And for unbelievers, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, or are you going to be separated from him? That's really a choice, and that we as believers, we go out into this community with the opportunity to tell people about eternal life salvation. The second thing is for believers, and that's us. What do we do with our lives? We have believed in Christ. We have eternal life. We're saved and saved forever. What do we do with our lives? 
Are we going to live for Christ or not? And so that's what we, we think about this aspect. So the Father gave it to the Son. That's what we've seen so far, and, and we put the whole thing together. Notice it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, the Father, gave to Him, to the Son, to show His bond servants. Now, bond servants, this is a plural aspect, and He's basically saying this message is for all those who belong to Jesus Christ. The bond servants, the Bible calls those of us who have believed in Christ, slaves of Christ, bond servants of Christ. That's why the Bible says, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus Christ. And so he says, this revelation from the Father to the Son, to all believers. And then he says something. And, and, and by the way, he says, to the things that must soon take place. If your Bible's like mine, mine says soon take place. Some Bibles say it will quickly take place. Some people look at that and they say, well, this was written 2,000 years ago. Obviously, it's not very quick. No, this is not what that means. The word quickly means when it happens, it'll happen very fast. That's what the word quickly means in Greek there. It doesn't mean it's going to happen right after he wrote this. It's saying that when this happens, it will happen very quickly. And do you realize that when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and, and uh, the rapture happens, this happens in a moment of twinkle of an eye, not too long after that, it's going to be a ten-king federation, a three-king federation. One man's going to rise to power. There's going to be all kinds of different things happening. And so it's going to happen, and it's going to happen quickly. By the way, First Peter says the end is at hand. Now, let me ask you something. Are we in the last days? Now, that's a question. Are we in the last days? I have people come up and say, I think we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for a long time. You understand that? The Bible says that after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those are the last days. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that he, God in times past spoke through his prophets and apostles, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. So that we are in the last days, and the return of Jesus Christ could come at any second. So I want you to just think about that as we look at this. So he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Father gave to the Son that he would, that, how about these events that would soon take place? He sent and communicated it to his angel. Doesn't tell us what angel it is. Most people think it's Gabriel, because Gabriel is the messenger angel. And then he communicated it to John. And so we really got the father to Jesus, Jesus to the angel, the angel to John, and John really to us. A lot of what he goes on to say. John testified, this is verse 2, servant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. He said, John, you are to write what you saw. And you know what is amazing? Now here's this man. He's probably in his 90s. He's on the island of Patmos by himself, and, an, and he gets a revelation taken up to heaven and seeing all these things, and is told, write it down so everybody else can see it. And so think about it. He saw the truth about the throne and the Lamb of God and the clouds and the horses and the rulers and the judging and the eternal throne, and he saw all of these different things. And in the weeks to come, we're going to be taken up there with him. And he's going to say, I was in the Spirit, and I went up into heaven. And we're going to see what heaven is like, and we're going to see what the throne of God is like. And we're going to see the rainbow around the throne, and we're going to see these 24 elders in a circle. And we're going to see these, these angels that have different faces on them, and all these wings. And they're, they're going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we're going to just keep looking at, and we'll see a lot of great things. And so what John saw, we get to see through his writing. 
And if you look at verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heeds the thing which are written in it, for the time is near. I remember people used to say to me, you know, the, the book of Revelation has a, has a blessing for reading it. Well, that's not exactly right. There is a blessing for reading it, but there's more to it than that. In fact, he says, blessed are those who reads the words, hears the words of this prophecy, and heeds it. There's three things. There's a public reading. Blessed are those who read it. That's why we always going to read the scripture. We're going to read the passages. Because the Bible actually says there is a blessing by reading, publicly reading the book of Revelation. In fact, there's a blessing when you publicly read the Bible anytime. And then he says, for those who hear it. Now, hearing doesn't just mean I listen to it. Hearing means you hear and respond. Then when Jesus would say, let the one who has ears, let them hear, we'd all say, everybody's got ears. No. When he says, let the one who has ears, let him hear, that means he's really listening. He's listening carefully. And then look at the third thing. And heeds the things that are written in it. That means obey. So if you want a blessing from the book of Revelation... We're going to read it so you can hear it. Then you're going to hear it in the sense that you're going to respond to it. And then you're going to obey it. And then God will bless you. There's always blessing when we obey the Word of God. By the way, this book also has a warning. Has a warning. It found in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19. The warning is don't add to the book or take away from the book. Some people say that, that means the whole Bible. If it's already true, you never add to Scripture and you don't take away from Scripture. But this particular book, at the end, he says, do not add to this and do not take it away. I mentioned this in the first service. I'm not going to tell you, but there are some translations that are newer translations that are out there that add to the Scripture. Don't get them. If you want to know what they are, come see me and I'll tell you what they are. But don't get them because they actually take they take from the original language and they add things to the Bible that are not there. Do not use those translations. The warning here is don't add to this book or take away from this book. And so here we have this, this idea. Now, there's going to be a greeting. If you look at verse 4, there's a greeting. And there's two aspects of the greeting. John is the greeter, but also the Trinity. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's look at it. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. He's writing to seven real churches that existed at this time. And then he says, grace to you and peace. And then from who? From him who is, who was, and who is to come. That's the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you look at this, John writes to the seven churches, but he also mentions the Father and the Spirit and the Son. So he writes to the seven churches. I want you to have an idea. The seven churches are what's modern-day Turkey. These churches all existed in 95 when John was out here. So God said, write a letter to each of these churches. And so they were really literal churches. And so he's supposed to write to them. Uh, in verse 11 he, of Revelation 1, he says, Write in a book and send it to the churches, the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Here's a bigger map and a sort of a better map. This is Turkey. This is Istanbul which used to be Constantinople, and this is Turkey, and this was the seven churches that existed at the time this book was written. None of those churches exist today. 
In fact, this is where Paul went on his first missionary journey. Paul went on his second missionary journey. This is where that Peter went. This is where they wrote the letters. This is where John was. And guess what? None of those churches are there today. They're gone. In fact, some say that in the whole country of Turkey, there may be no more than two to 300 believers. What happened? Well, we're going to see as we continue to go through the book of Revelation what happened there. So notice, it's John to the seven churches, and then he says this. It goes, the greeting is from the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And then he says, grace. Grace to you and peace from him who was and is and is to come. Grace and peace, they always go together. God deals with us in grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Listen, what did you do to deserve to have eternal life? Absolutely Nothing. It is the grace of God. You're not good. We're not good. We're not trying. We, in fact, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We go through our lives in rebellion against God and in His grace and mercy. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. And He says, in His grace, whoever believes in Jesus will never perish but have eternal life. It's the grace of God. God always deals with us in grace. And then peace always follows grace. And so He says, grace to you and peace. And so he's writing to these churches, he's writing to the seven churches, and this is what he starts off. And then we see the Father, the Son, uh, excuse me, the Father, the Spirit, and then the Son. Look at the Father and look how is he described. He says, and who was, who is to come, uh, no, Scott, sorry, and for who is, and who was, and who is to come. He describes the Father as eternal. He is now, he was in the past, and he will come in the future. God is eternal, and he's always this is past, present, and future. Now, by the way, this is going to be the exact same description of Jesus Christ just a little bit later on. God is eternal. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all the same in that sense. One God and three persons. So he says, this is from the Father who is, always exists, who was, always has existed, who is to come, always will exist. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend that. First of all, to comprehend that there's one God in three persons and to comprehend that God has always existed, is existing now, and will always exist. It's just beyond comprehension. So he describes the Father that way. And then look, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. The seven spirits before the throne is describing the Holy Spirit. Now, you may stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why does he say seven spirits? I thought there's... The Holy Spirit, but he's described as seven spirits. What does that mean? Well, what we find is this, that the word set, the number seven, which we talked last week, is all through the Bible. The set word seven has an idea of perfection. And in the book of Revelation, he calls him the seven spirits before the throne. I want you to see something. Charles Ryrie, who I think one of the great theologians of all time, he was a professor at Dallas Seminary when I was there. He said this. He said, the seven spirits likely represent the seven-fold ministry of the Spirit as depicted in Isaiah 11.2. Did you know there is a seven-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit? Here's Isaiah 11.2, and the Holy Spirit is called holy, wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear. That's seven things, and that's what most believe. Notice this. This is Zechariah. His angel's talking to Zechariah. He said said to me, what do you see? And I said, well, I see and behold this lampstand, all of gold with its bowls on top of it, and seven lamps on it, 
with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps on top of it. So he saw this lamp, and it had seven lights coming on it. Well, what is that? Well, just a couple of verses later, it's called my spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So sometimes in the Bible, and we'll see it, the Holy Spirit is described as the seven spirits of God. So we have the Father who is, who was, and who is to come, and the Holy Spirit who is the basically seven spirits who are before the throne of God. And then the third one is the Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ. Wow. That's our Savior. You know, we can talk about the Father and we talk about the Spirit, but when we start talking about Jesus, we go, He's the Savior. He's the one who died for me. He's the one who rose again. He's the one who gives eternal life. He's the one who will never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He's the one that we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. That's who He is as Jesus. How is He described? He is described three ways in this passage. I'm going to go quickly, okay? He's described three ways. First of all, He is described as the faithful witness. The faithful witness. He's God's representative. He came, he didn't come to do his will, he came to do the will of the Father, and he represents God the Father, and he he tells what God the Father is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And that's who he did. And so he is the faithful witness of God the Father. He's come to reveal the Father. In John 1.18, it says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son has revealed him. So that's what he did. The second thing, he is described as the firstborn from the dead. And when we see that, that we go, what does that mean, firstborn? Well, in the Greek aspect, firstborn means the very first one. He's the first one to ever come back from the dead, never to die again. That's called resurrection. He's in the Bible, he's called here the firstborn of the dead. Now you could say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What like Lazarus died and came back from the dead, and the little twelve year old girl died and came back from the dead, and the neck widow at Nain, her son came back from the dead, and some people in the Old Testament came back from the dead. Yes, they did. That's not resurrection, that's resuscitation, because they died again. Jesus Christ is the first one to ever die and come back from the dead, never to die again. That's why he's called the firstborn from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a third thing he's called. He's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Look at the passage. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to see this book that one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And actually, Revelation says he rides on a white horse. And it also says that we're coming back with him. And guess what? We're riding on white horses. And so I don't, I've never ridden really on a horse very much, but I think I will at this time. Anyway, and he's coming as the king of kings. Look what it says. Revelation 19, 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules in righteousness and justice. So what do we see? The eternal father who is and was and always will be. The Holy Spirit, the seven spirits before the throne. And the Son, who is the faithful witness, the resurrected one, and the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now keep looking, because it describes something about Jesus in verse 5 on what he did. So he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the rulers of the kings of the earth. And then it says this, to him who, and it gives three things that he did for us. Here's the first one. He loves us. To him who loves us. It's present tense. A lot of times in the Bible, it's past tense. God so loved the world. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us. That's all past tense. 
this is present tense. It's one of the few places in the scripture where it says the love of God is present tense. It's going on right now. He loves us. It's an unconditional, unchanging love. That's why First John says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. The truth is, he loves us now. His love never changes. You've heard me say this over and over, but his love never changes. If you're serving him to the maximum, his love is to the maximum. If you're not serving him at all, his love is to the maximum. If you're a believer, his love is to the maximum. If you're an unbeliever, his love is to the maximum. His love never changes. And he loves us right now. Okay? The second thing. He released us from our sins. Notice what it says. To him who loves us and released us from our sins. How? By his blood. You understand, Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. What was the payment? It was his shed blood. He died in our place. His blood was shed. He died and rose again. And that was the payment for sin. That's the key. That's the key thing for us. And look at this right here. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 7, cleanses us. 1 Peter 1, 18, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Acts 20, 28, we're washed in his blood blood. I want you to understand something. I said it in the first service. You understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world and rose from the grave conquering death. People do not go to hell because of their sin. He, Jesus has paid for every sin. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed it away. People go to hell because they have not believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's the key. Remember in John 3, 18, he that believes is not condemned, but he that believes is not is condemned, believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus has dealt with the sin issue. It's gone. That's why when we go out and talk to people, we're not telling them to clean up their act. Get your life together. We're telling them to believe in Christ to have eternal life because that's what the key is. So the blood of Jesus Christ has already done it. He's paid for everything. The third thing, he's made us priests. Look at this. Verse 6, and he made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. Some translations actually say he made us a kingdom of priest. And first, oh, I got it there. First Peter talks about that we get to offer up spiritual sacrifices. He is the priest. Do you understand the Old Testament priest was the go-between? Jesus Christ came as a great high priest, and we are, going to, are a royal priesthood. Every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ, you're a priest. You get to offer sacrifices, the sacrifice of your life for serving him. So, Jesus Christ loves us, freed us, paid for our sins, made us priest. And all the glory goes to God. Look, look at the end of verse 6. He says, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we could stop there, but the passage doesn't really stop there. And it talks about Jesus Christ coming. And let me remind you of something. There are three comings of Jesus Christ. His first coming was to the earth, and He died and rose again. There's a coming in the clouds. We call that the rapture. It is not to the earth. It is in the clouds. It is to take out the believers. That's us. First coming to the earth, die and rise again. Coming in the clouds, rapture. The second coming to the earth, he comes to rule and reign in righteousness. This is the first coming. This is the rapture. This is the second coming. First coming to die. Second coming to rule. In this passage... He's going to talk about the second coming of Christ as the king. Look at verse 7. Behold, he's coming 
with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. He is coming. This is the second coming to the earth. Matthew 24, verse 30. I saw the sign of the Son of Man which appeared in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the earth, the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. Listen, in the rapture, happens in a moment of twinkling an eye, nobody sees it. We're just gone. In the second coming, every eye will see him coming as the king of kings and the lord of lords, coming to judge and rule in righteousness. It's powerful. Daniel says he'll set up a kingdom on never end. Every eye will see him. Zechariah says we'll see him and mourn. They will. At the return of Jesus Christ, let me, let me do this. 19, it was 1982. I was reading the USA Today. And as I turned, there was a full-page ad. And it said, the Christ is here now. And then it began to write in smaller writing. It was big writing. The Christ is here now. And in smaller writing, it says, the Messiah Jesus has appeared, is on the earth, and he has decided not to make himself known at this time, and, and that he will come whenever, make himself known at an appropriate time. Let me remind you of something. When Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he's not taking out an ad in the newspaper. Listen, and every eye will see him. You don't have to say he's going to do this. And let me put this back up. As I, the truth is, at the return of Jesus Christ, there'll be no need of a prior announcement or anybody to tell that he's here because every eye will see him. At the rapture, nobody will see him. It's, we're all gone. When he comes the second time as the king, every person will see him. He'll rule in righteousness and justice. So here's a description in verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. That's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. That's the beginning and the end. And so he's the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, look at the description, who is and who was and who is to come. Same as the Father. And then he says this, the Almighty. So he's the first and the last. He's the eternal one. He's the Almighty. Almighty is used nine times in the book of Revelation. And it means the all-powerful one. The one who is all of everything. He is described in this passage as the King of Kings and the one who is the beginning and the end and rules everything. Wow. Well, before we have the Lord's Supper, let's, let me give you some applications quickly. So let's study so that we can know and apply the book of Revelation.